Down South. On this show, we will discuss Florida's heartbreaking loss at Texas A&M, and then Florida's historic victory over Auburn. Historic because Florida had never defeated a team ranked in the top two on their home floor before in program history. So a historic win for the Gators. Eric Fawcett, Gator Country, and I will break that down for you and also preview a big game against number 18 Arkansas Tuesday night in Gainesville. Hope you guys enjoy the show. Hello and welcome to Florida Basketball Hour. I am Neil Blackman, Saturday Down South, joined by Eric Fawcett, GatorCountry.com. We are a little late on uh, on a podcast. Both of us had some stuff going on. It's good to welcome Eric back in. Uh, all our substitute possible hosts had conflicts. It was a crazy time. I actually got messages Friday night. They were like, why is there not an Auburn preview? And um, it was like, do you want me to hop on and, and do one real quick? No. So, uh Welcome, Eric. We are going to start with Texas A&M, but um, good to have you. Yeah, Neil, Neil's being kind. It was it was me unable to to podcast, and you know I think you could have gone ISO ball, Neil. I, I think you could have you could have held on one one your own. But uh, I also it's nice for you to get a break for once. So so sorry to people <laughs> that we weren't able to to deliver there. Um, you know we maybe we need a little bit more depth. You know, like uh, yeah. our, our our first guests couldn't get couldn't get the job done. Um, we we got to we got to expand the roster. We got to we got to look around. But uh, uh, yeah, it's uh, two two very different games for sure. Um, uh, to to lose to Texas A and M in the fashion they did, uh, man, things were things were pretty glum. Um, of course, very different, uh, di- very different feel um, after Saturday. Um, <laughs> to the point where, uh, man, if we had podcasted after Texas A and M, I'm sure we would have uh, uh, not been super high on on you know maybe the outlook for for Florida. But uh, uh, yeah, starting with Texas A and M, um, just a game that, uh, um, man, it's just uh, you want to talk about a rock fight. Um, that was about it. Florida heated up a little bit at the end, and 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 it showed some efficiency, but just kind of on the whole, uh, two teams that really struggled to score. Yeah, uh, definitely, definitely a rock fight. Um, Florida did pretty well just to kind of get back in the game and put themselves in a position to in, to win. Um, I think, you know, most people tuning in are probably here for Auburn, but we can kind of go over just, I think what was most disappointing to me, um, I mean, it's obvious you can't foul a three-point shooter there, but Texas A&M is shooting like, I don't know, 15% from three on the game. Uh, and it's not really a high percentage shooter taking that shot. And it's a fifth year super senior in Flan Fleming who makes that play. I mean, it's just not, it's almost unfathomable that that happened. I think too, this is one of the things we talked about in the preseason about you bring in all these transfers and, uh, one of the things you maybe expect to be different than the last couple of years of Florida basketball is we kind of thought that there would be less mental lapses that we kind of gotten used to with the the really young teams and you know what have we seen this year it's a, it's unfortunate it's it's not just you know not just Fleming but I mean we've seen Deruji who's not a transfer but an older player we've seen seen him make some of those decisions that you're just like oh these like these look like inexperienced decisions and you see Flanders Fleming um who unfortunately hasn't been able to play in many close games in his basketball career um in a close game here unfortunately makes the wrong call so um it was definitely one of those moments where it was uh 
it kind of had you thinking it was just like, okay, we kind of understood some of these mistakes when you're, when you kind of build a team that's really young, but talented. Um, now that you go a little bit, uh, the opposite side of the spectrum, guys that aren't heralded recruits, but are, um, you know, sought after transfers that are older guys. These are kind of the plays that you just kind of thought we wouldn't see. And unfortunately we have, uh, seen, you know, seen our fair share of them throughout the season. Yeah. I mean, Wade, Wade Taylor is a, a nice freshman, definitely a, a good player. We saw him knock down three clutch free throws. That was, you know, a pretty big time performance by a freshman to hit all those, but a 31% three point shooter, uh, three feet behind the three point line. I mean, there's just no need to, to leap out at him uh, and to make that um, type of play. And, you know, you can't, and it's easy to look back in hindsight, but the reality is Florida would have gotten two quad one wins, um, you know, unless that shot goes in somehow, uh, which again, wasn't very likely on that night. Um, you know, if, if that foul doesn't occur and Florida would have kind of won a game that it didn't feel like they ever had any control of. You know, I think late game execution is going to be a, 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 a topic throughout this podcast that uh, got talking about Auburn as well. Um, but again, it's like if Florida is going to play, um, play kind of at the pace they do um, not being able to score super efficiently and trying to kind of lean on their defense to keep games close. Like you're, you're going to have to be a really good late game execution team. So whether that's like getting through all these scenarios in practice um um, I mean, I don't know. It's, it's not really a late game scenario to be like, hey, close out to this three point shooter and don't foul him. Uh, that's not really a late game scenario. But uh, it's just one of those things where, you know, we've seen we've seen some of these some of these mental errors late. That's just like it's it's going to be a problem because Florida is going to continue to play close games. I feel they're not really built for um, the explosive, you know, huge games of runs. And hopefully they win by, you know, win by multiple possessions. It's like they're trying to keep the score low possessions low. And then, um, you know, hope they went out at the end. So uh, you just got to kind of hope for, for a little bit better um, execution than that. Yeah, no, I mean, just uh, again, um, extremely disappointing to, to lose uh, in that way. But I mean, and then again, Florida gets, probably their best, well, certain, not probably their best mid range player uh, gets a jump shot um, that I didn't think was a particularly bad look uh, to win the game. And he misses. Yeah. I, I had no problem with that look at all. I, I know some people were kind of like, like again, given the clock situation, it wasn't, it wasn't great. I probably would have liked it a, a little bit earlier just to give the opportunity for the offensive rebound. There's, there's kind of different philosophies with that. Like in the NBA or, or, or FIBA basketball um, where you can advance the basketball um, with a timeout, maybe you're a little bit less reluctant to shoot with four seconds on the clock. Cause you make it, the other team advances it. They got time to, to get a decent shot on the other end. Like in, in college basketball, um, I, I think you got to get it, look for a shot a little bit earlier because you've got to leave yourself that opportunity at the offensive rebound and, and make something else happen. And, uh, and then even if you do make it on your, your first attempt, you know, the, then the team's got to go, the other team's got to go the, the full length of the floor. So uh, it, it really kind of changes. And and I feel like college basketball coaches should adjust to that in a way that on the whole, they, they haven't 
totally gathered. I feel they're they're still kind of looking at NBA and FIBA late game um, scenarios. So I, I I didn't I mean I didn't love the clock, but I I thought they got a great shot. Like if you'd have told me that was the you 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 give me you know the one second clip of him taking that shot, um, a, a good look at a mid range jumper for like you said a, a player who's good at those shots. Um, I had no problems with the attempt. It was it was a good look. Um, it fell out and 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 that's basketball. Maybe would have liked if they got to it a little bit earlier just for um a, a little bit more chance at 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 hustle after that. Uh, but hey, not not a bad look at all. Yeah, you always want to if you're losing, you always want to start earlier so you optimize the number of potential field goal attempts you get. Um, so you know that's that's on both the staff and it's on Tyree for not initiating that uh, faster because once Tyree got going, uh, like Eric said, they ended up getting a very good look um, from a guy who has hit a ton of mid-range jump shots this season, including one earlier in the game. So uh, kind of, you know, I don't know when he went up, I kind of was, you know, I was a little surprised that he missed honestly um, because that's, that's usually a pretty money shot for Flan. Uh, But you know, it, and that would have been sweet redemption, of course, uh, considering that it was Fleming who put Florida in the position to lose. The one thing I'll, I'll also add about, about this this game um, was that you know it was a it was one of the lowest possession games in the SEC all season. Uh, Florida had just played the lowest possession game in the SEC at Kentucky, um, so we're back to the. Andrew Nimhard freshman year plotting tempo um, where Florida just slows everything down and, and plays really methodical basketball games. Um, but unfortunately on the road, it doesn't leave much margin for air. And, and that's how uh, Texas A&M gets to snap an eight game winning streak or eight game losing streak uh, against the Gators, which by the way is the second time this season that Florida has been the team who a super long losing streak in the SEC has ended against as Ole Miss had done that previously. Oh, that's a fun stat, isn't it, Neil? Thank you for that. Um, uh, I, I think, uh, I think too, like generally speaking, I'm actually kind of a fan of Florida slowing it down and it's sad to admit, but it's because something that we've talked about on this podcast for years, usually the inverse of, of what I'm about to say is, um, the Gators are the less talented team in a lot of these matchups. And when you are the less talented team, you want to lower possessions and add opportunities for variance. Now against Texas A&M, I would say they're the more talented team and they would have been maybe smarter to, to play the game a little bit faster and um, let come some of their talent and shot making win out. Um, but, uh, I, you know, generally speaking, I think Florida is going to be at their best kind of slowing things down and um, getting into sets that way. Uh, but uh it's again, it's all matchup dependent. Um, it worked really well at Auburn that we'll get to. And I think against Texas A&M, uh, like you said, it just left, uh, left very, very little room for, for error. And, uh, then I just think one kind of obvious statistical total to talk about that also made it tough was, uh, a very undersized Texas A&M team who in fairness has been offensively, re- offensively rebounding the ball really well all season long. Um, but they are undersized. They're not super athletic, but they pounded the Gators on the glass. And that was uh, obviously a huge difference. I think they had 17 offensive rebounds um, in a game that's obviously one possession. Yeah, no, I mean, um, so Florida is the second, Florida is forcing uh, opponents to have the second longest um, possession length of any team in the power six, only Virginia 
who you might expect uh, is forcing opponents into to longer possessions. Um, and, you know, I don't know, I guess there, there might be some sort of lesson here given where both Virginia and Florida are in defensive efficiency this year, kind of in the same ballpark that uh, even though that's what they force teams to do, you know, eventually they don't quite have the talent defensively to defend for 30 seconds. Um, and so, you know, it's give and take. Now we will get into the Auburn game and that maybe that's even the best place to transition. I thought that was really smart. Um, and maybe the smartest thing that Florida did in the game against Auburn was they abandoned their press altogether and they just said, let's make Auburn execute in the half court in an electric environment. I thought that was really a good plan and probably one that Florida will emulate against Arkansas when we get to that. Yeah, I think that they are, uh, you know, Arkansas is a team that wants to play faster. I think that the biggest success of Florida, uh, I mean, overall, hey, for a defense that, you know, I've been hard on all, all season long, I thought it was, was you know, really good against, really good against Auburn. Um, but the fact that uh, it was a low possession game um, kind of kept the Gators close. And uh, I, I even wonder, like, you see how Auburn turned it on at the end. If, if this was a game that was played with five more possessions each, um, you know, did the Gators lose by, you know, lose by four uh that could have been the case but i i also think you saw um I, again i don't think in terms of efficiency it was a tremendous game for the gators um shot quality was you know pretty good i don't think it was like they missed a ton um but i do think their offense was was best when uh they slow down and run sets and you you saw them running different things that uh they added to the playbook they had one design backdoor play i i forget who it was for i think it was appleby with the ball but he just whipped it right by the legs of um but they stacked three players on one side of the floor and made it look like an action was going to that side um but then reverse pivot from tyree appleby um look at the backdoor cutter and unfortunately he threw it away um but it's just kind of good to me to see that the Gators are like, hey, slow it down. Let's get to spots and, and run a set. Um, and I hope that they recognize that was a big part of why uh, why they beat Auburn was because they control tempo. Yeah, no, I mean, I would hope so. And and I do think when you look at Auburn, um, you know, and you start talking about them as a Final Four team uh, before we get into this game, I mean, that's got to be the biggest – the biggest war I think is execution in the half court. Like they're fine if they can get some action for Jabari Smith and just rely on his totally ridiculous for college talent. Um, and that might be okay. It's certainly, you know, Rick Barnes had an offense like that at Texas with Kevin Durant uh, and they didn't get out of the second round. Um, now they weren't going to be, they weren't as highly seated as, as Auburn is going to be, but I do think Auburn's guards leave something to be desired on the, on the half court execution front, especially because I don't think we saw the same Jeff Zasper in this game as we saw in the, the uh, original game at, at Auburn. There's something wrong with him. Um, I'm not a doctor, but he did not seem as, as quick and good. I think we saw even, if you want to look at one microcosm of, of that game for the guards, it was that last possession of the game for Auburn where they kind of got themselves in trouble, tried to force a tough pass. And it was one of those things where you're like, okay, the best player on Auburn is, is probably Jabari Smith. Um, you, you, we could certainly have a discussion about who the second best player is, but uh, uh, it's, it's, uh, 
it's not really like Jabari Smith isn't quite a player where he's someone you can just throw the ball into and, and, and have him go one-on-one. I mean, I actually think they should do that a little bit more, but again, I wouldn't say um, elite at that. Obviously Walker Kessler, it's, you're not looking for a post up in that kind of scenario. Um, they tried to seal him and, and get him a layup at the end, which is okay, but forced a really tough play that was obviously turned over. Um, but it's uh, yeah, the ball's going to be in the hands of their guards. I think their guards are really good. Are they national championship? Good. That'll be uh, to be determined. But um, like you said, I think that would be the one thing it's like, you know, it's, when it gets, when it gets in like late in game, they're going to be more talented than just about anyone. But if other teams have a more talented guard, um, that could be, that could be the difference. Um, such as Saturday when the best guard on the floor was Tyree Appleby. Yeah. I mean, it was absolutely Tyree Appleby and I thought it was Tyree Appleby for two halves and, and, um, not just the second half when he exploded from a point standpoint. I thought uh, the reason that Florida limited turnovers so well in the first half, Eric, um, and we're able to get into halftime with a one-point lead despite shooting 25% from the field on a lot of good looks. So I know a lot of people were, wow, Mike White in the offense. Florida had good shots in the first half and, and just didn't make anything. Um, but they did limit turnovers and they didn't let – Auburn get out in transition because Appleby played so under control and so composed and, and poised and well. Um, and I think maybe Eric, that's a huge distinction between like Kim and Katie Johnson who gets back to Auburn's execution in the half court, right? Like we saw how good Katie Johnson was in transition twice in this game where including late when he cut the lead to one on whatever Brandon McKissick was doing on that inbound pass and Katie Johnson scored in like three seconds um, because he just got a full head of steam and went downhill. But in half court offense, uh, Katie Johnson defended by Niles Lane on three of these. Um, we'll get the Niles in a little bit Threw the ball into the stands, um, trying ball reversals, trying even simple passes uh, on the sideline from the middle of the court, the floor. Um, so you know, you can talk about, and Katie's a, a tremendous talent, I think. And if he stays for four years, which he should, given his size, um, he's going to be an electric player in the SEC. But again, probably the best performance by an Auburn guard was Katie Johnson Saturday and Tyree Appleby leagues better. Yeah. I mean, Tyree Appleby could have had, you know, 30 something. He missed some, some chippies at the rim in the first half. And again, like Tyree Appleby hasn't been a great finisher at the rim his, his whole career. So I can't be like, Oh, these are, you know, shots he normally makes, but uh, man, he was just creating and creating and creating. And it just seemed like he was getting anywhere he wanted out of the pick and roll that, I mean, that was another thing about um, Auburn that was concerning is like, I thought their pick and roll defense was terrible, um, but they've been good all year. So perhaps that's just credit to Tyree Appleby, who's kind of pace coming off those screens caused such a problem. And, um, he was getting into, into the paint at will. And then of course you come to the second half where he starts hitting everything off the dribble. So that was pretty huge, but you know, you mentioned McKissick, like a uh, tough, uh, tough couple of minutes for McKissick. Um, some tough plays early. I mean that uh, like, honestly, that's one thing too, that just kind of, if we want to talk overarching theme of the Florida's win here was like, obviously Tyree Appleby was outstanding as, as good as you can, like as good as he's ever been. Um, Colin Castleton was really solid. Once again, steps up to the challenge of a really good front court and is the best player. Um, he was awesome. I, I mean, I, we, we know Brandon McKissick had some bad moments. I didn't think Myron Jones was great. Anthony Deruji to me was had some had some tough decision-making situations on both sides of the floor. I wasn't awfully impressed with his game. Like this was not a game where Florida just came out and 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 played to the best of their ability and 
beat you know the number two team in the country who was is probably my personal national title favorite it was like man they they had two guys play really well a couple of guys play okay and a couple of starters play like you know I mean, not, not bad, but maybe bad adjacent. And they were still able to get a win. Like that's, I think what's crazier to me about the win was that was the fact that they were able to um, get that done against an opera team without even playing their best basketball, which has got to make, you know, the got to make that locker room, you know, for Florida feel like, Hey, we really can like be a lot better than what we're doing. Well, we've been so far this, this season. Cause uh, yeah. Like imagine, imagine if like, or, you know, Anthony Deruji was, was playing it like kind of his normal self, or if Myron Jones was kind of, hitting 38% of his threes or if uh, Brandon McKissick makes better decisions with the ball. I mean, this could have, this could, this game could have been a blow. This could have looked like, you know, beating number four ranked Auburn a couple of years ago. Yeah, it really could have And a staff member that I texted to congratulate them for what was a historic win, by the way, uh, Florida had never defeated a team that was uh, number one or number two on their home floor. Um, never defeated a team in the top two. Um, Billy Donovan beat a number three Kansas team once. Uh, so um, that was the the high water mark of, of Donovan. Um, one win over a top three team. So Florida did make some program history, uh, which I think is, you know, it's amazing. Congratulations to the staff. Congratulations to the seniors, especially. Um, congrats to the fans. Um, you know, I tweeted a lot on Saturday and um, it was fun. It was fun. And, and, you know, I'll be candid, like it has not been fun enough. Uh, so days like Saturday are amazing. And Eric's right. That, that was the great part of the staff member's response was thank you. And then like, we could play so much better. Um, and I think that's true. Like Flan Fleming didn't even play that well. Now he hit a huge shot. Um, just like Brandon McKissick hit a huge shot. Uh, finally. Um, but Flan also got stripped by Jabari Smith when, you know, just because he brought the ball back down, which again, a fifth year senior, never bring the ball back down. Just go right up to the rim, um, gets stripped. He uh, missed a, a couple bunnies um, at the 10. If he had done, if he, he drove two times into the lane where he had open layups or just had to take on Kessler, which I know is, is difficult to do. Right. But it's still like you're six foot five and built like a tank, like make him foul you. Uh, and he backed it out. And one time he took a 17 foot fadeaway jump shot instead. And if he had done that a third time, I would have had an aneurysm and missed the rest of the game. Um, so he's a third player. I mean, to me, there were three great performances, uh, Castleton, um, Appleby, whose second half was one of the most spectacular things I've ever seen from a Mike White team. Uh, pure like Chris Chioza at Rupp Arena or Jalen Hudson hitting step back threes on senior day against Calipari <laughs> so, to where Cal just switches the zone because he doesn't know what to do. Um, and Niles Lane. That's it. So I think Eric's right. So I think you kind of hinted at this at the start with uh, you kind of talking about how Florida did something they haven't done before. Uh, we got to talk court storming. I got to hear your opinion, Neil. I've got to tell you, I have not yet decided what I think. There is definitely a part of me that's like Florida, given their program history, should not storm the court against anyone. 
um, and that it kind of looks, you know, kind of corny and that you wouldn't see some of the other programs that you want to see in the same, you want to see Florida in the same light as you don't, you wouldn't see them storming the court ever. There's also part of me that's like, you know what? College basketball is supposed to be fun. You don't see this in any other level of basketball. Um, storm the court, you know, it's awesome. And like you said, um, they've never done it before. So I, I'm curious what your opinion is and if you can help sway me into one side of the argument. Oh man, I love that you asked this um, for two reasons. One, because I tweeted the kind of immediate hot take uh, that I had. And because uh, because we all know Twitter is mostly just a locale where we dish out our most artisanally crafted hot takes. I then got responses and essentially changed my mind on the tweet. Uh, so the tweet was, Florida has been to five Final Fours and Florida has uh, won two national championships and should not storm the court. Um, and a lot of people were like, you know what? Florida won two national championships when like some of the freshmen at UF were in diapers or pre-K. And uh, like, let them have their fun because there hasn't been enough joy. Um, it wasn't a very aggressive or effective court storming. So another thing I'll say, Eric um, you know, it was kind of a half-hearted court storming uh, compared to like Eric Musselman without his shirt on against Auburn like earlier in the week or whatever, uh, or the week before. Um, so, you know, not a super aggressive, like effective court storming, but I've kind of come around to it. Uh, Florida had last stormed the court in the 80s in an NIT game, which tells you where Florida basketball was. Uh, prior to the arrival of Norm Sloan and, and Lon Kruger and, and then Billy Donovan. Uh, they never did it in the Donovan era, um, although they had one game against Kentucky early in the Donovan era where Mike Miller, Teddy DuPay, and Udonis Haslam famously jumped onto the press row table and uh, Lambeau leaped into the Rowdy Reptiles. Um, but that's kind of a fun story to tell. But that's that's my take on it, Eric. I'm okay with it now, and I feel like my original tweet – was wrong. We may have lost Eric for some, some reason. So I'm going to see, you know, exactly what happened um, with that, but I wanted to, yeah, Eric will be back. Um, So, Anyway, um, I want to get into the second half. So it's 22-21 at halftime, and Auburn goes on a huge run kind of out of the half, and um, that was the the run that Auburn went on was almost entirely keyed by Katie Johnson getting downhill at the 10 and then Jabari Smith. And uh, I would note that the run occurred um, with Niles Lane off the floor, first of all. And second of all, that Jabari Smith is the best college basketball player in the country. Um, with all due respect to, to Ivy and Chet Holmgren and Paolo Bonchero, and as the ACC writer for Saturday Road, uh, the new ACC columnist for Saturday Road, thank you, thank you. Um, I have seen Paolo Bonchero play a lot, and it's just not as good. Uh, so... I kind of thought the game was over. Like Auburn had gone on this run and it was clear that Jabari Smith is just going to make everything. 
And I was deeply concerned. Yeah, this was a game of pretty wild uh, kind of lineup numbers. Um, even as much as I said that I thought Daruji didn't play particularly well, he was like plus 18 and led the Gators by a landslide on the court. So um, that's going to happen sometimes. Uh, just is what it is. But, you know, that that lineup that you were talking about with laying off the floor, they were minus eight in a couple of minutes. Um that's that's pretty tough um so it's kind of it was kind of uh, uh a, a game of runs that way um getting to some different lineups that uh uh often um yeah you know get getting to lineups that the gators haven't used a lot just kind of looking at the numbers um and then i'll also point out kind of like you were saying with with niles lane looking really good um that lineup that kind of got things back into the game with lane back in with a bunch of the starters they were plus eight in three minutes that's what kind of got things on you know back on track but kind of like you were saying even with the the way that uh florida was not looking great offensively it was just you kind of just wondered like yeah how are, how are they going to be able to you know get back into this and you know ultimately hold on to a lead that it, it kind of had a little of that little of that feel and of course given where Florida season have, has gone this year and how Auburn's season has gone so far this year. Um, you know, Florida doesn't exactly get the benefit of the doubt in these close games. Um, it's going to be Auburn. Yeah, no, I mean, like, uh, you know, come back, come back to Lane in a minute. I did want to tell you that I, I initially had tweeted anti-court storming stuff. And then uh, after reviewing fan comments, uh, including some from Rowdy Reptiles, I sided with the pro court storming. It was a half-hearted court storming. It wasn't uh, Muss with his shirt off um, and the Arkansas court storming that we saw like against Auburn and the other game. But I was, I was for it. Like I said earlier, the theme of this game was joy for me. Like it was, it was the first time in a while, really since the Ohio state game or the Troy game that I really felt joy watching Florida play basketball. Um, and I felt it, pretty much throughout the game because of how Florida was competing. Um, not just because of the final result. Uh, so that was my take on court storming. I don't know. if. Well, I, I think one thing for me, yeah, sorry. I had to step out for a second. My wife's having vehicle problems and her power steering just gave out on the highway and had to coast to a, to a shoulder. So um, I was like, I better take that call. Uh, so thanks for holding that onto that alone there for a second, Neil. But um, I, what I do think is like objectively funny is I think like the worst possible outcome did happen for Florida where there was a, you know, quote unquote court storm, but it wasn't kind of full out. Like I know some people were debating, is this a court storm or not? Like a bunch of people who are anti-court storming or like, um, who I really like a lot of those, these guys on Gators Twitter, they're like, this was not a, this was not a court storm. I will go to my grave. Like, this is not, this was, this does not classify as a court storm. Like to me, it was a court storm, but obviously it was a half hearted or quarter hearted one. And it's kind of funny because on one hand it was like, okay, it would have been good if they didn't storm the court at all, because you can kind of say like, Hey, we're Florida. This is what we met, we're meant to do. But it also would have been great if there was just absolute bedlam and there was a huge court storming. Like you said, Mike White takes his shirt off like Musselman. Like, hey, that would have been an awesome visual too. Um, so I kind of wish that it went one side of the spectrum or the other. The kind of half court storm, it didn't give you the visual of like the sea of people. You can't even see the court. You can't even realize where kind of, you know, where this is taking place. Like when you saw that that Arkansas court storm. Um, so unfortunately the fact that, that the Gators are a bit in limbo as to whether or not they are a, a, a program that should be court storming or not, it, it kind of made for the, the no man's land. It was like in between double teaming and staying home on shooters on the post. It just, well, it was, it wasn't the best setup and that is pretty funny. And I'll be interested in like, 
you know, some of the people that were defending it, like the Rowdies were like, Hey, we've never beaten a number two overall team before. Like this truly was history. Um, so does that mean this probably won't happen again, unless it's like number one ranked Kentucky coming into town? Like, but by saying that now, I truly don't think we will see a court storm maybe again, or maybe just, you know, for a very long time. Cause I guess now the bar is it's got to be the number one team in the country coming on the road. So, uh, I, I do think the people who are anti court storm will probably, uh, probably not have to deal with it here for a while. Yeah, no, I don't think, I mean, there's almost no chance that that Florida will storm the court again, um, you know, this season uh, or probably in the near future. Uh, they are going to play two more ranked teams in their last two home games. And as Eric said, I mean, unless Gonzaga loses, Kentucky won't be uh, number one or, you know, and, and may not even be number two. But, uh, but you know, they're going to play a top 10 team. And they're playing, I think Arkansas is 18th um, <clears throat> coming in tomorrow night. So uh, getting to the end of the game. Well, no, we wanted to go back to Niles Lane. Look, a um, couple things. One, they put him on Katie Johnson primarily, which was really smart. Uh, because it was fun to watch Katie dribble a ton and try to get by him. And just like Lane is just as fast laterally and, just as strong physically. So, which Katie is not used to because he's stronger than most everybody um, and five inches taller. <laughs> and so that was good. The other thing was there were a couple of positions and Jabari buried one of these jumpers, but there were a couple of positions where like Jabari Smith was defended by Lane who didn't foul him and got in his face. And it's like, that's all you can do. And it to me was, just kind of an indication of what a, what a great defender he was, but I didn't know how good um, other than like really good until I saw this number from JG trends, which uh, Niles Lane has been the most impactful defender in the sec this year, uh, edging out um, John Fulkerson in that category. Um, Florida is a full um, 0.8 eight uh at the points per possession allowed um with with lane that is much better than without lane um i can tell you that and there's only because i counted uh, there's only a couple of defenders in the country that, that are better than him uh texas tech has one of them uh seton hall has a couple of them um indiana has one interestingly Fulkerson is like right there, Eric. But, uh, you know, begs two questions. One, why was he in the doghouse when he makes this large an impact? And it should have been obvious to this staff in practice. And two, um, you know, how close is he to being a complete player? We saw him miss two threes terribly. I'd really just rather he attack those lanes there. Yeah, there there was a story that I had a a, a pretty good source tell me that there was a, a little bit of a, of a disagreement um, from something that stemmed um, in, in practice and and the falling out of it that uh, kind of led to him being in the doghouse. Um, I, I don't really want to speak too much into it. I haven't even come close to confirming it or anything like that. But it it, it wasn't um, uh, it wasn't anything bad from from Lane. Just a little bit of a of a you know miscommunication disagreement and it maybe kind of just the the thing about basketball is if you 
if you're kind of out of the rotation for, for one game and uh, things kind of go, you know, okay without you, you might find yourself kind of out of the mix for, for a little while. So I think that that's maybe the case for Lane as well as uh, um, kind of uh, obviously someone who's, who's had some, some non COVID sickness this year um, injury. So um, it, it may, maybe a couple of things for him, but again, that was something that when he first kind of jumped on the scene starts and plays like, you know, 30 minutes, we're like, okay, clearly it was an injury because you don't come right off an injury and play, play those kinds of minutes. So it was clearly some, you know, at least to some extent, some coach's decision. And, um, you know, one that, you know, when we've been advocating for him to, to play a lot more, kind of one of the things saying like, Hey, it's, it's not like the team is going to be that much worse offensively with him on the floor because they're not very good already but we know they can get a lot better defensively. It's like, yeah, it's, it's, it's certainly looking like they could have gone to him um, a lot earlier, but it's, it's, it's kind of going to be the next thing. Like we, to see that he can definitely attack a closeout. Um, that's something we really like just with that kind of explosive first step. Um, but man, of course he, he airballs a very unfortunate three where he has so much time. It's, it's, it's really clear too. Um, like he knows he's out there to defend and, and move the basketball when it comes to him. Um, which is great in some scenarios, but it also comes to, okay, he just gets hit with a wide open three and you know, his first instinct is to pass the ball, but then he's like, Hey, I am so open. I'm going to take a bounce to get, you know, quote unquote in rhythm and then put it up. And it was one of those things where it's like, okay, if he was a little bit more empowered to be like, okay, you're out there to, you know, catch and shoot, even though he's not a very good catch and shoot player. Um, uh, maybe hits that one or at least catches rim. So that's kind of one of the, the negatives about just like how much he has embraced his role. Like, yeah, there's times where you see him swing the ball so effectively and it's because he knows his role and he knows he's not out there to, to shoot it. Um, but then when those times where he's, you know, absolutely got to shoot it, of, of course we, uh, we see an unfortunate air ball. Yeah. I got a text from his uh, high school coach who I've talked to since meeting him a couple years ago. And, um, you know, it's was, it was after the game just kind of like, man, did you see Niles? I thought, he really made an impact today. And I said, yeah, you know, I wish he would drive. And his coach said, yeah, I feel like every time he's that open, I'm just like, go to the basket, mm. young man. Um, Cause I mean, he can attack a closeout, but I also think, you know, he's athletic enough and strong enough to where like, especially the one he had in the corner where it was like, he caught it and Castleton had sealed off the help anyway. It's like, just go to the basket, make somebody foul you. Um, but I think he'll learn to do that. He certainly should be coached to do that. Like you said, he needs to be empowered to do the right thing offensively, not just pass. Yeah. It's, I, th I think it's one of those things too, where like there's some shots that you look very much towards, like, okay, are you, you know, good at the shot? Are you allowed to take the shot? Like Tyree Appleby um, should be taking these threes off the dribble. That's not a shot that everyone's good at, but when it comes to a catch and shoot open th corner three pointer, like everyone has to be empowered to take that shot. Like that, that that's not a, like, okay, who's, you know, who's got the green light to shoot a wide open corner three, that can't be the case. So in a situation like that, like, I, I, I feel like he probably wasn't made clear that it's like, yeah, you catch that ball in rhythm, you put it up. I mean, maybe, maybe he was, but the kind of, you know, conversations I've had, he just thinks that, uh, you know, he's out there to have zero shot attempts, you know, ideally, <laughs> which is too bad. Cause I think we can, he can bring a little more than that. Like, yeah, I, I don't love his jump shot mechanics. There's work to be done too, but um, yeah, there's just times where it's like, you know, does that wide open air ball from the corner and in, in a pretty big moments of the game, does that happen? Um, if he's feeling like he can look at the rim a little bit more, you know, maybe, maybe, maybe not, but definitely still made an impact. And uh, I'm glad to see that the Gators have still kind of stuck with him, despite knowing that there's going to be times that they're playing four and five offensively because man, I just think he had some absolutely fantastic possessions guarding the basketball and just some kind of possessions defensively that just no one on, 
no one else on the roster I think could have could have hung with the guys like like he did. Um, his point of attack defense was spectacular. I'm I'm still happy to see him on the floor. Yeah, speaking of uh, spectacular defense, and I think this does not get enough credit. And I actually was really glad that uh, Dalen Cuff, who I think is quite good um, in the ESPN studio, because uh, the focus on the final sequence of the game was all about Bruce Pearl not getting the ball to Jabari Smith. And, oh, I can't believe that, that the defensive coordinator in me was happy to hear uh, Cuff say it was really just great defense by floor. Um, and they walled it off, kept everything in front of them. Colin Castleton did a really not a really nice job of not getting too far out on Wendell Green um, to where he either could have fouled or gotten blown by, um, and or where Wendell Green could have maybe made a pass around Castleton a little easier, um, and then. Just spectacular recognition uh, by Flan Fleming on the roll. Yeah, they they absolutely blew it up. Like that was fantastic one possession defending. And and again, I don't know if the Gators are ever going to well, not ever going to. It's not like they can add anyone to the roster. I I don't think that they are athletic enough, um, you know, long enough, fast enough to just like consistently be a. You, play at a top at a top 15 level. Um, but they're veterans. They're savvy. They've got to be like elite, you know, one pe- possession defenders. Um, just like we talked about how with, with kind of uh, a more veteran team, you would have hoped to see like some of these like late game execution si- situations be a little bit better against Texas A&M. Um, you'd certainly like on the offensive end, Florida's late game execution to be way better against Auburn where they really almost shot themselves in the foot with multiple bullets at multiple times. Um, but man, on that one possession, there was multiple guys that did that, that played really well, recognized what Auburn was trying to do. Um, jumped to a switch, got really good angles, um, denying that, uh, that entry pass. Um, it was, it was tremendous defense by the Gators. They really, you know, sat down and, uh, and locked down on that one. And I think that that was, uh, uh, maybe maybe fitting that that's the way they won with their their defense because you know their offense is still a little bit of a of a journey but yeah that, that that's got to be full credit to full credit to them on that one i'd say yeah definitely not the greatest execution by auburn uh, but they had something they were trying to do and the gators completely took them out of it and that's all you can kind of ask for from a defense exactly like auburn's spacing was not terrific um that might even be putting it mildly but uh at the end of the day auburn had an action that they wanted to to run bruce pearl said he thought that Florida would overextend, that they would come out too far. The Gators didn't do that. Uh, they did not overcommit. Um, and so they were able to escape with a historic win um, and one that really keeps them uh, very much in the bubble conversation. I felt like a loss would have not necessarily meant the end of Florida's NCAA tournament uh, hopes, but it certainly would have put a real dent in them because Florida would have entered this Arkansas game at 6-8, and eight. Um, and with only two home games left and both those home games against ranked opponents, it's going to be a tough road. Uh, I don't think eight and 10 in the league will get Florida into the NCAA tournament. They've at least got to finish 500, um, in their league, which they now have very much choking hot Arkansas team will require another type of performance. I think from Colin Castleton that we just got 19.8 rebounds three blocks against two, I think is going to be the national defensive player of the year, Walker Kessler. Um, but 
when you start looking at this Arkansas team, I really two things stand out. One is they do struggle to score in the half court. Um, they're not great offensively by any stretch of the imagination. Um, and then two, they have kind of the most unique big man in the SEC in Jalen Williams. Yeah, it's an interesting roster. I'll also say like they uh, they look pretty undersized. That's kind of one of the things that that kind of strikes me. They're not super uh, super long. Um, Williams has is is a great center with a you know good frame and like you said a unique game. Um, but they also play like a lot of their minutes at at power forwarders are like Stanley and Moody and another you know Summit League transfer like Brandon McKissick that was really sought after by a lot of teams and then um trey wade who was at wichita state he was a player that coming from utep the uh the gators had some interest in he was ready to commit if they wanted him they decided to go other another direction uh he went to wichita state for a couple of years and is now uh yeah now obviously at arkansas um but uh a, a team that uh yeah definitely lacks some of that kind of higher end talent jd note a great scorer but uh uh they're getting it done on the defensive end and uh you know like you said neil um, you'd say that that definitely starts with the play up, up in the middle, um, there from, from Jalen Williams. I, I do want to mention, like you said, just kind of about the, the implications of this game for, uh, for Florida and their NCAA tournament resume before I want you to talk about Jalen Williams. Uh, I've got to say, I was kind of surprised to see that the Gators beat Auburn and only jump from 53rd to 47th in the net. Um, we are now recording this on Monday, Monday morning. And uh, I refresh it for today and the Gators dropped to 49th in the net. So you kind of look at, they beat Auburn a couple days earlier and they only got a couple spots higher in the net. Um, how concerning is that to you, Neil? Or how, how reflective uh, do you think that is of the, of the, of the kind of overall resume? Um, how much do you think this Auburn win, you know, really moved the needle, I guess, is my question. I'm surprised. Uh, that's kind of my, my, intake on it is that I'm surprised. Uh, I thought that it would move the needle quite a bit more. Apparently uh, a one point win over the number two team in the country and a top five team in the net when it happened uh, didn't. Um, this game becomes all the more important for Florida, I think, as a result, <clears throat> because I think, I think a 20 win team with 20 regular season wins from the SEC, which is the second best league uh, behind the big 12, um, they're going to get in the NCAA tournament. Uh, and I don't care if they're in first four out or if they're in last four in. I just can't see the committee saying, you won 20 games in the SEC uh, and, you know, or nine and nine or 10 and eight in your league and we're not inviting you. Um, that's not going to happen. And the other thing that's interesting is like, this is a quad one opportunity for Florida against Arkansas. Um, but South Carolina is like, one road win away from that becoming a quad one win, which would give Florida like the double. Uh, they can get up to four quad one wins with a little help from the Gamecocks. Um, and then maybe their net looks a little different. Um, so I just think this game is so huge. And I really do think the key to the game is how Florida does with Jalen Williams. <clears throat> you know, Castleton has done really well in these, with the exception of the, sh the game at Rupp where he did not play particularly well. He's done really well against, elite big men um, in all his matchups, whether it was EJ Liddell, uh, who is probably the most like Jalen Williams is more athletic than EJ Liddell, in my opinion. Um, but it's a little similar, right? Because they can both play with their back to the basket, but Liddell can get the ball drive. He can shoot. Um, 
Jalen can shoot uh, sort of like you have to at least respect the jump shot. Uh, he certainly can get downhill and drive. He's a good passer. Uh, averages basically a double double a game at 10.3 points, 9.6 rebounds. Uh, does not turn the ball over. Averages almost three assists a game, which is pretty good uh, for a big. And I really think outside of JD Note is is their biggest mismatch problem. The guy that they want to, the way they play, the guy that they want to get in switches. Yeah, I think again, looking up and down the the rest of their roster, it's you know Devonte Davis, Adis Tony, um, the Pitt transfer. I, I I believe yeah, Pitt. I blank for a second. Um, you know, Trey Wade, uh, Kamadi Johnson, Sally Moody. Like, I mean, these guys are just like, they're, they're not big time scores. They're, they're mostly out there for their defense. That's really what Arkansas kind of holds their hat on. So like their offense is, is like, okay, we know we've got JD, JD Note, um, as good of a score getting to the paint as, as there is. And then, you know, Jalen Williams, someone who can, um, bring guys out a little bit further to like the, the, the free throw line area and, and dribble a couple times or score on the rim. It's like, it's pretty clear what their game plan is offensively. Like they've got, they've got their two guys they want to play through. Other than that, it's guys who space the floor and um, they're not a good three point shooting team. Um, that's one thing that's kind of been really different uh, this year is like, again, they, they're a much better offensive team last year um, and they shot the ball better. Um, and when Eric Musselman kind of first came in, um, to Arkansas, they were a team that shot a lot of threes, um, even though they weren't great percentage, kind of playing kind of the analytics. This year, I'm kind of a little bit surprised. Like, obviously, they don't have the shooters, but um, yeah, they haven't been a team that's that's put up a lot of threes or um, shot them at a you know, great percentage. So, um, but those those guys are still, you know, th- they're like, how can we cut off the ball uh, away from Williams or when Note is driving and uh, or Chris likes as well. Um, who's maybe played a little bit of a smaller role than I would have expected when he transferred from Miami. Um, but uh, yeah, it's uh, it, for, for Florida's, you know, game plan scouting report. It's, it's all about how, how can you stop those two guys? Um, it is also worth pointing that. Yeah. So, you know, Arkansas is 72nd in the country um, in adjusted offense efficiency for Ken Palm. Um, I mean, the Gators are 68th. If that kind of tells you anything about the uh, potency of the Arkansas offense. So um, coming off a game where the Gators defend well against uh, Auburn, I feel like they could uh, really, feel like they could defend Arkansas. Yeah, I mean, the Hawks have won 11 of 12. They, uh, like the Gators, started 0-3 in the SEC. Um, you know, so take that for for what it's worth. Uh, but they haven't really done it by, you know, outscoring people uh, too often. Um, you know, they've actually had trouble getting – a lot of buckets uh, in some of these games. They did get to 80 in their win uh, at home against Auburn. They had 76 in their win against Missouri, but their game against Tennessee, if anybody watched, and their game against Miss State, just absolute rock fights. Uh, they had a rock fight with Ole Miss, a rock fight with LSU. I mean, these are kind of that's kind of what they do. And then JD Note makes a lot of baskets. Um, <clears throat> only two players in the power six, uh, take more shots, per, more higher percentage of their team shots than JT Note. Uh, so, and when you extend it to the power six and the Atlantic 10, um, only Hung Jung Lee had to get Hung Jung Lee into the pod and then the other two players. So he'd be fourth in those leagues in terms of percentage of his team shots. I mean, I expect a healthy dose of Niles Lane and Flan Fleming on J.D. Note, that makes the most sense. When we last saw Chris Likes against the Gators, he's the one man on earth that 
took Andrew Nimhard to school but couldn't handle Quez Glover. Uh, maybe that bodes well for our boy Tyree Appleby. Yeah, and Hung Jung Lee should take more shots, in, in my opinion. He is, and uh, that Davidson team is, is must watch for people. All the shots. Who have it. Yeah, the, being top four isn't enough for him. Uh, he needs to be top one. Um, that's pretty interesting. I mean, I, I think everyone kind of saw a little bit of the, the Musselman experience back when the Gators played Nevada in the NCAA tournament. And I think that that was a game that we went in feeling really good about Florida's chances because they were just so isolation heavy. And you kind of thought that uh, the Gators had enough, you know, isolation defenders to kind of slow slow their isolation guys down. In that case, the the Martin brothers mostly. Uh, I, I it's it's nowhere near the same kind of extent. Um, they don't isolate as much as that at all. But it's still again like the kind of structure of like yeah, like you like Neil mentioned, like JD Note taking so many shots, spacing around him. So I, I'm really interested to see what the Gators do. Like he's. Uh, kind of smaller it's at, at, at 6-2 a little bit like not the most prototypical matchup for like a Niles lane but to me this is like this is just a great opportunity to say like hey you know Niles you're on their best score it's their best score by a long shot on the perimeter um, these are the matchups you're built for and, and kind of match up all around that and and I, and I think it would work too just because um, you look at kind of their most uh, most used lineup of course it's got Williams at the five it's got JD Note at, at point guard, like, you know, Devonte Davis is six, four and 180 pounds, not super, you know, physically imposing. He's a good size for a shooting guard, but like, you know, I, I would trust Tyree Appleby just starting on him. If you're kind of cross-matching um, to start up and, um, uh, or you could even like, like, again, like I, the Gators could get into some pretty interesting um, cross matches as well with like, um, you know, Audis Tony, who doesn't really look to score at all. Do you play a little psychological warfare and put, you know, Appleby on the six foot six Tony and see if they're like, oh, we better try to post him up, even though he isn't a po- great post player. Um, I wouldn't mind seeing that stuff at all. So I, I would love to see Lane on, on, um, uh, you, you know, taking on JD Note, but it's also clear that Arkansas is going to hunt switches all the time. So it's like anyone who's on the floor at any point could find themselves in a one-on-one situation. Yeah. And maybe it's what Florida does in the gaps, uh, but uh, stopping him, who's uh, not a great shooter, um, you know, a decent, decent three-point shooter who's been shooting it better in conference play, but you know, not a sniper from out there. It's all about getting into the paint and Florida needs to be all about slowing that down. Yeah. I mean, Florida was right in this game with them last year in Fayetteville. And that Arkansas team was slightly better, I think, um, because they had Moses Moody. Um, and, you know, what? they had Justice Smith, too, who ended up being, what, like second team All-SEC and really hurt the Gators. Devontae Davis is kind of an interesting wild card because as much as I think Jalen Williams and how he plays will decide this game, honestly, um, just that matchup with Colin Castleton. Castleton got in foul trouble last year because Connor Vanover got some nice home cooking calls. Um and so Florida had to really rely on Omar Payne. He played 27 minutes last season uh, in the in the Arkansas game. But Appleby had 18 points, uh, played really well. Uh, I expect that to happen again. I, I think Florida should be locked in. The beauty of beating number two Auburn is that Florida doesn't play like Georgia or like Ole Miss at home right after. Like they have a ranked opponent coming in, um, and I think they should be focused and and locked in. But yeah, I mean, how does Florida handle that? Uh, the constant attacking of switches. We've seen the Gators handle it well this season at times. Um, and then we've seen them handle it poorly, like in the second half of the Alabama game. Uh, just a note too, because you mentioned his name, Connor Vanover. He's uh, people you'll, you'll probably remember him from, from uh, Arkansas, just because he's that seven foot three comically tall um, center he like hasn't played for them at all I, I mean I don't know like I don't think I've ever seen him on the floor in, in SEC play uh, I'm sure he has but uh, um, 
you know, I haven't seen it. So he's kind of completely out of the rotation. Um, obviously a little bit of a, of a matchup problem there, especially on the offensive glass. He got a couple, a uh, couple offensive rebounds and easy putbacks against the Gators last year. Um, but uh, something that they also did when he was in the floor on the floor was they play that two, three zone where the two guys at the top would, would play very, very high and even sometimes trap. It was actually very interesting. It was a very different um, alignment than you see kind of uh, in, in college basketball. Uh, but this year they don't play zone at all. So I think Florida is going to be you know pretty prepared for um, whatever they're going to do offensively, just because they know they're probably going to see um, exclusively man-to-man defense and they're not going to have to deal with uh, a two, three zone with a seven foot three guy in the middle of it. But at the same time, I was, I'm curious too, because like throughout the season, we've been looking, you know, we've come on this podcast and we've said, Oh, you know, this team does have a six foot 10, six foot 11 center who plays three minutes a game. So, you know, he doesn't really factor in, but, but teams then end up, you know, starting them or playing them 20 minutes just because they're looking for a matchup for Colin Castleton. Um, for that reason, I am curious if we see Vanover, but yeah, he hasn't played in weeks. So that would be an interesting matchup. But, uh, you know, we have, we have, there has been multiple times this podcast where we're like, oh, this guy's not going to play, but they do have him on the roster. And then it's like, <laughs> oh, he's starting to try to match up with Colin Castleton. Yeah. J- January 18th is the last time that, uh, Connor Vanover appeared in a in a basketball game, um, so kind of tells you a little something at least. The, the, the interesting thing for me, and and I get back to Devontae Davis as maybe the other secondary wild card, just because he really beat Florida up last year as a freshman and uh, a guy that actually played at at Tyree Appleby's high school. Uh, so kind of some familiarity between those guys that grew up together um, in in Jacksonville, Arkansas. Tyree a little bit older. Um, you know, in ranked in games against ranked opponents or games that are quad one games, uh, which this will be. Devontae Davis has not been particularly productive. Uh, his best game would have been the Auburn game where he had 10 points um, and hit two of his three threes. Um, but you know, mostly four against Alabama, seven against Tennessee. I did hit two of the three threes there, uh, but a bagel against um. A bagel against Ole Miss on the road, which at that point in time was still a quad two. He had seven points, but six turnovers against LSU, which can happen against LSU. Uh, So it'll be interesting. Like if he plays well against Florida, it would kind of be a little bit out of the norm. He has feasted on the bottom half of the SEC uh, when you look at his game logs. Um, But, you know, I don't know. It's it's like I like I said earlier, they don't have that Justin Smith. Uh, and Eric said they don't have the kind of size at the wing positions that they had last year where they could create a ton of mismatch problems all over the floor. They kind of have Jalen Williams and then J.D. Note. Uh, and that's what you want to do, make them execute in the half court. So I will put the over-under uh, since this – I know Eric likes when I do this. Um, Florida had nine turnovers against Auburn, which is really good. Um, I'm going to put it at 10. 10 or fewer turnovers, and Florida will have a chance to win the game. They were really close last year in Fayetteville. They lost by 11, but it was a two-point game with, what, like a minute to go, and then some weird stuff happened. Yeah, like it's it's tough to – like this number I'm about to say is probably not going to really be in context. So like Ken Palm does have Arkansas beating the Gators by one. Of course, that's the whole season kind of sample size. And there was a time where um, Arkansas lost five of six games and, and were, you know, lost significantly. Like they were pounded by Hofstra. Not pounded, but Hofstra won by, you know, three or four possessions. Um, they lost to Vanderbilt. They lost to Texas A&M. Like – so there was a time where, you know, they were, they were, well, actually the, it, people probably remember there was only a couple of weeks ago where it was kind of like, 
neck and neck, Arkansas and Florida. They're both on the bubble. Is one of these teams going to make it? Um, since then, the Gators dropped to 53rd in Ken Palm, beat beat Auburn, and only are you know 49th in Ken Palm. Um, Arkansas went on a heater, and now they're 23rd in Ken Palm. So it was not long ago where their outlook was very similar to Florida's, and of course they completely changed it with a massive winning streak. Um, Florida didn't do that. So, but so again, I would say like I'm sure the the probably the betting markets are going to be different than than Arkansas plus one. They'll probably have that line. Um, more for or Arkansas minus one. Um, they're going to have Arkansas winning by more because uh, they've been playing fantastic basketball over the last month. But again, I, I just look at their team and, and, you know, they're able to score a bit in transition. They defend pretty well and well, really well by the numbers. But I just feel like when I watch, they defend pretty well, not super well. I think JD, JD Note is absolutely fantastic, but a lot of the guys around him, I don't think are particularly complimentary to his style of play. Um, this is a team that I feel is pretty beatable. I actually like this matchup for Florida, and I think they get another big win that could really kind of propel momentum moving forward. I like it. I, you know, look, I think if Florida's locked in, they have a very good chance to win. Like I said, I, I really love Jalen Williams. I think he's a great player. Um, and like I said, just very unique, um, kind of like Darius Days, but taller, bigger, and better at posting up. Uh, so like a 2.0 Darius Days. Uh, you know, not going to shoot 35 from deep like Darius does as a senior, but you have to respect his jump shot. You really do. Um, and so that makes him a little more interesting to defend. Um, but when you look at Arkansas's, you know, schedule, yes, they did win at LSU, uh, which is a very impressive win. Um, but otherwise they haven't had to play a lot of tough road games. Uh, they lost at Alabama, which would have been their only other really tough road game. They lost at Miss State convincingly. They lost at Texas A&M uh, by more than Florida did. Um, they lost at Ole Miss uh, convincingly, or they won at Ole Miss convincingly, but they um, nonetheless haven't had to play a lot of quad one road games, to be honest. Uh, so, you know, I don't know. I, I think moving the time up to seven helps Florida also. Uh, I was relieved to see it wasn't a nine o'clock start. Um I just felt like that was bad news for like the locals that sometimes just decide to go. I don't want to go to nine o'clock. Uh, so hopefully it's a good environment. I don't expect a great one because it's a midweek game in Gainesville, but it's a huge, huge game for NCAA tournament implications. I do think if Florida wins, what it does is it means that if they win the Georgia game, they're assured of being 500 in the SEC, which I think is close to getting them in the NCAA tournament. Um, Vanderbilt is much better with Liam Robbins right now. I watched them a couple times. That's all. That's going to be a dicey game. Uh, and then Kentucky is just awesome. Um, so, and of course, I fully expect Ty Ty Washington and Jacob Toppin to be 120% when they come into Gainesville uh, because Florida has no luck under Mike White whatsoever. Um, so yeah, uh, this would be a great one for, for the Gators to get up and go and decide to win. I'll let Eric, uh, send us home. Yeah, I gotta say I'm, I'm, I'm phased by the, uh, uh, by the net ranking improvement after Auburn. That, that is concerning to me that Florida only got a couple spots higher. Um, it also confirms to me too, like people are all always trying to game the, the net, trying to figure out what exactly the, the formula is. The first person to crack that will be very popular among 
the analytics community. Um, but after the Gators win, but don't play particularly well over Auburn and only go up a couple of spots, it speaks to, uh, you know, the wins matter, but in the net, it's, uh, it's also obviously efficiency margins and kind of the quality of, of how you went about winning. And, uh, while I thought that, or, you know, I think some people were treating that Auburn win as a little bit of a golden ticket that punched the Gators chance to go to March Madness. Um, I, it's, it's just pretty clear to me by that net ranking number that that is not yet the case. They really need one, uh, but I'm feeling pretty good going into Tuesday. We will see what happens. Thank you for tuning in. Sorry, we're a little bit late with this one, but go Gators and keep attacking closeouts.